forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I have folliculitis, but it's clearing up. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and I'm happy to be back. Yes, welcome back to Los Angeles, the world of lost dreams and too expensive juice. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm really glad to be back, uh, back in L.A., uh, I had been at my cabin in New Jersey. Neither Melissa nor Allison had seen the engagement ring yet. It's um, beautiful. So they 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 had great reactions in person, which I do appreciate. I had to wear it. Allison did put it on. Yes, <laughs> Melissa. Did. Allison encouraged Melissa to put it on. I don't know that Melissa's first thought would have been let me wear it, but but it's nice because then you can get a real angle on it. You can like uh-huh. you can see from your POV what you're looking at every day. Yeah, it's true. I I do sometimes just hold my hand up and go like, I'm engaged. <laughs> you The amount that you are so obsessed with being engaged is delightful. Thank you. Like after years of acting like you didn't give a shit if it ever happened or whatever, yeah. you are you are a ray of sunshine <laughs> and you, all you want to do is talk about wedding planning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're trying to. Yeah. We're trying to wedding plan. Although, gosh, did you guys know this stuff's expensive? Yeah, it's brutal. It's really brutal. I was like, how how long could we go convincing them that it's just a party? So that they don't give us like huge, num- you know what I mean? Like huge numbers. Well, why of don't you get wedding? married in the South where they don't believe in, in gay marriage? Oh, yeah. And, and then they'll think it is just a party. It's just a party. <laughs> yeah, I, that's true. Well, getting married in L.A. is a real problem. Like if we were getting married, if we were getting married in like Florida or something, I feel like it would be. You'd look, find the most homophobic county. Yeah. And get then, married and there. And get married there. Yeah. <laughs> And then they won't charge me any tax because they'll be like, this clearly is just a party. Exactly. Or they'll have no concept of like, by the time we get married, they'll be like, they'll look at me and Mal and be like, what, what is this gender wise? Like, what, what is this? Is this a straight marriage? Is this a gay marriage? Is, is it go, is it so straight it comes back around to being gay? Like what's happening? (laughs) And I love that. I love to keep the confusion going. I have a gift for you from my road trip. Ooh. I found this at the place I was and I was like, I can't believe they make this and it's so perfect and awful and I'm so excited to give it to you. I love gifts. And I love to be thought of when I'm not around. Okay, here you go. <laughs> okay, we've got a mug and it says, yeah, this is exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. It says, my friends went to the International UFO Museum in Roswell, New Mexico and all I got was this lousy mug. I have had my sights on going to Roswell, New Mexico since I wrote my 90-page research paper about it in ninth grade of high school, and you went without me. So, also, the the font choices, yeah. the way that this mug looks is, I couldn't it's believe wild. I, I couldn't believe I found it after you were texting me pissed off that I was there. And also, I couldn't believe that they made this, and also, I couldn't believe it was for purchase, and I also couldn't believe that they'd chosen it to look the way it looks. It's it's precious to me. Yeah. Melissa just got me a beautiful mug for my birthday as well. So now I've gotten mugs from both of you recently. 
Wow. Well, this one, I mean, come on, you got to use it every day. I mean, I'll double fist every morning with my tea between the two mugs. <laughs> the Roswell Museum was it had a lot of information, but it had a lot of sort of hokey stuff, which I did what? enjoy. It wasn't classy. The no. Alien Museum. But Mal, it was funny, like we were going on it and we were walking around it. And then at the end, Mal was like, I didn't really get any. I didn't really like get anything from that. But I will say the autopsy was very convincing. <laughs> compelling. They said it was compelling. Uh, and, and I was like, yeah, like it was. But the whole town, they've so committed to it. Like the street lamps are aliens and UFOs. And the, the McDonald's is a UFO. I can't believe you guys didn't get engaged in Roswell. That's a real missed opportunity. I, I know. I kind of thought about that. Like, I thought that maybe that would be the thing. But it, there wasn't that much there that we... They really they really are banking on it in a sort of selling merch sort of way. You know what was interesting? We went to a place in Mississippi, Mississippi called Uranus, a town called Uranus. <laughs> That's always funny. And the whole town, and you know what they have in that town? A very famous fudge packing factory. And the whole town is Melissa's like losing it's it. an entire town where the joke is your butt. Like they, they've committed. It's like the whole area is like, welcome to Uranus. Want some fudge for Uranus? Like they are committed. It's like a huge. They have a big uh, water cooler that says like Uranus. I can't remember like all the jokes, but it was like jokes, jokes, jokes. Like it was like. I love jokes. It was it was so funny. The amount of like commitment they had to it. And then the whole time I kept being like, this is like a gay joke. Like this whole town is just a gay, one gay. That's not true. Straight people do butt stuff as well. That's true. But I was just like, wow, what? Missouri, that's what it is. It's Uranus, Missouri. And it was a a delight if anyone's interested. And I did get fudge there and it was delicious. Up your butt? Yeah, I got it right. I got it put right up my butt. Classic. Anyway, this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartful advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. Yeah. What an episode. We actually have a very enlightening, helpful episode coming coming at you hot. I know it wouldn't seem like it from (laughs) the intro to this show, but yeah, we have an amazing interview with Britt Frank. It's all about like mental health, but it like... How do you explain it? It's about the body. It's about disassociation. It's about, you know, like not being not being so binary about mentally well and mentally ill. What else would you add? Yeah, she's a therapist who who wrote a really insightful book. And I think her approach feels very balanced, which is something you don't always find. Yeah, it was a good interview. It was a great interview. Yeah. sticker. I mean, you know, stick around for that. Some of you are here for the the, uh, I will say, crude banter between myself and Allison. And some of you are here for the the really insightful interviews. And some of you are here for both. And I think that that's what this show brings you. Okay, but get to what the topic is. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so sorry. I was so like into uh, talking about ourselves. <laughs> sorry, later we're going to discuss our nibblings, our nieces and nephews. But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means. Hit it! International question! International question! International question! KB, North Carolina. Nice. We didn't drive through North Carolina this time, but they got some good stuff there. Asheville? Oh, okay. I I can never remember if someone says something is in North Carolina or South Carolina. You know, they filmed Dawson's Creek in North Carolina. 
I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really one, moved by that. That's my one trivia fact. Although my parents came to visit us in at uh, the cabin and they try, you know, like sometimes my parents will tell a funny story, but then it's like actually deeply sad. Yeah. My mom was talking about how we were in North Carolina and we were driving down a mountain and the, it was raining so hard. And my mom was like, so then we just told the girls like, go to sleep, go to sleep. Cause we were like, we might drive off the side. <laughs> oh yeah. And they're like, they, she told it as a funny story. And then later Mal was like, that was so distressing. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Here's our email. Hi, Gabby and Allison. I'm a, don't read it. Okay. Just listen. Let me, let me tell okay, it to I'm you. I'm sorry. I'm let sorry. Me tell, I, let me wash you yeah, in my voice. Sorry. <laughs> tell me a story. Here's a question. So the other day I said to John, I would like to listen to a book on tape on the way home. And then he really made fun of me and said that people don't call it book on tape anymore. I think it's called a book on tape. Thank you. Yeah. And that's why we're friends. Yeah. What do you call what do you call what you use to change the TV? A remote. Clicker. All right. That, I've been getting a lot of shit for that lately. Oh yeah. Anyway, hi Gabby and Allison. I'm a huge fan and I love listening to your podcast in the car. I feel like I'm hanging out with you guys when I listen and it has been so helpful for my driving anxiety. And now you are hanging out with us. It's true. I've been thinking about this question for a couple of years. So if you could read it and talk about it on your show, it would mean a lot. Here's my international question. Can you give advice on what we are supposed to do when our close friends cheat on their significant others? To give you some background, I just graduated from college, which means a lot of my weekends were surrounded with going out with my girlfriends and drinking. A lot of times my friends would get overly flirty and definitely toe the line of cheating on their boyfriends or significant others. Many times I've had friends who have danced with and kissed other guys, have exchanged phone numbers, and have even straight up gone home with a guy, all while they're in long-term committed and monogamous relationships. I struggle with this because I don't want to support my friend's bad behavior, but I also want to be their friend and understand slash support the choices they are making for themselves. I feel like if I openly called my friends out for cheating, they wouldn't want to be my friend anymore. On one hand, I want my friends to keep me accountable to my values, but I feel like if I did this, I might lose a lot of my friends over a situation that has nothing to do with me personally. I'm not sure whether my opinions on this change if I like their significant others versus dislike them, if they have already been cheated on in their relationships, and if they think they might be breaking up soon. So I'd love if you could give perspectives and advice about all of these factors as well. I've never been sure how to handle this, but I hate not knowing what to do in this situation. I feel like I have to choose between my loyalty and my ethics. Yeah, I was going to say, how close are you with the boyfriends? Like, do you know the boyfriends? Are you hanging out with the boyfriends all the time? Because are you like having to look them in the eye and <laughs> and like know these things and have to like look them in the eye? That's stressful. You know, it's so interesting what gets normalized among groups of friends. That's what I was thinking about. Right. Because like if you're if you're a group of friends where that would be totally obscene, you know, that everybody would be like, oh, my God, that's so crazy that she went home with this other guy. But it seems like this has become like super normalized amongst you guys. And like that this is just kind of a thing that everyone sort of piggybacks on each other or like has accepted about each other, like in a circle of trust, which I think is something that you're just not comfortable with. Like, I don't know. It's this weird thing, right? Where like boys, I think, say just just to be very gender normative, like boys are like, you never rat out your friend. Like you never do that. Right. But like if in your case, what is the next step to then tell your friend, hey, I don't actually really like when you do this? Or is it B to go to the boyfriend? I don't think it's B. 
But I do think A is feasible, but they might just be like, you're being a buzzkill. I don't know. Taking in the context of this stage in your life, my thing is like, maybe these are not the people you're meant to be friends with. That's what I'm saying. It's become so normalized in this group that I wonder if there, if it's even, you you start to feel like, am I crazy? Am I the outlier? Am I am I just wrong? Yeah, like if, if you're right out of college, if like you're going out a lot, like maybe just, I, I think kind of like taking the pressure off of yourself of like these people are finding themselves and making their own decisions. But also I do not need to, solely be surrounded by people who make this kind of decision like maybe this is sort of a signal that like you should maybe try to find some some new friends and some people who do align more with your values because I think when I was younger I would be like oh my god I could never be friends with somebody who cheats but I think it's really more about like well what type of friendship can I have with somebody who does that right can't be very close like yeah it'd be hard to be really close and so maybe the really close friends you you try to find people who you know, are align more aligned with, you. with your ethics. But uh, yeah, like what Gabby said, it definitely depends on how close you are to the significant other in terms of like what kind of a position they're putting you in. You know, so I think it is really shitty if like you're good friends with the fr- the, the, the the SO2 right. and then they're blatantly cheating in front of you. Like then I think that that's a, that's a situation where you can say something. But aside from that, given your age, it's sort of like the friends we make in college, the friends we make in when we're growing up, it's a lot of times just because of convenience. like convenience. That's and, who's around. And like how, yeah, they're close by. And, and and maybe this is really kind of like a learning moment for you. We're like, oh, like it actually is really important for me to have friends who I align with morally. Or does it, I mean, it's scary, right? I know a lot of people who just have the same friends from high school and college because they're scared, even though they don't like those people or, or don't align with those people, because leaving behind an entire friend group and start finding new friends is so hard to do as an adult. Uh, it's like, you know, someone I know right now, they're in this new friend group and they're like, if I don't, you know, these are my friends. Like if I don't, you know, go along or or do these types of things, like, you know, or, or have this sort of like, I don't want to stir the pot because this is so new and I need, I need, these people for like plans, you know? And then other times it's like, you know, some people that I know have friends from high school that they do not align with, but like, and then you can talk to them and they'll say, I don't know. I just don't really align with these people, but like, that's, that's who I've been around. Like who else will I find? Where will I find new people where, you know, if I drop these people, like they're going to talk about me and be like, uh, you know, they'll still all be friends without me. Like it's this, it's hard to 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 drop an entire group and find a new group. Yeah, but not everyone has a group, right? We've talked about that before. Like, I don't have a group of friends. I have individual friends. Yeah, and you have to, like, grow into that, I think. And it's scary. Yeah, cultivate that because and, and not rely on this is who's easiest and this is our plans always, you know? And I think in terms of the fear of, like, if you say something, then they won't want to be friends with you anymore. Like, remembering the two-way street of that and, like, do you want to be friends with somebody who, if you say something like that, they cut you off? <laughs> like, exactly. Like, is that a, and they a might. is that a valuable friendship? Like sometimes kind of pushing up against these these things and, and having these conflicts can be really revealing of if the friendship is even worth fighting for in the first place. And yeah. if the person just instantly shuts down and shuts you off because you have questioned them in any way, like, where's that going? How is that a healthy friendship in the first place? I, these just sound like going out friends. You know what right. I mean? Not like, like they can be your fun friends, but like maybe like the real connections can be found elsewhere. 
But it's not your responsibility, I will say, except in those situations where you're really close with the significant other. Yeah. Then I think there's a thing of like, hey, like knowing this is making me really uncomfortable. I feel like you should maybe share what happened with your partner or or just stop. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or just stop. (laughs) I mean, it's hard to because. It's interesting that it's like, well, if they, you know, they'd been cheated on in the past, so they'll cheat. They're cheating now. And it's like, yeah, I it's this interesting thing that I've seen come up a few times where it's like, well, like on Reddit and stuff, because that's where I see straight people where it's like where it's like, well, if he. Oh, yeah, you guys, there's two of us in the room. I just mean different. Like, I mean, like unhealthy straight people where it's like people who are like who are like, well, he cheated on me, so I'm cheating on him. And it's like, okay. But, but, okay, like, you know, like, I, I don't know, like, I think it's like none of your business, but also you get to decide. I, I do think, I do think it's hot. You're not paranoid and it's highly likely that they will be like, whatever, KB, you're being, you're such a buzzkill. Like you're being a buzzkill right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then that's like, who wants then to I, be who, friends with then that? Then you don't want to make that person someone that you trust. Right. Right. Because then they're not trustworthy. Because then if if they're betraying their partner, what are they doing to you? Or even more like if someone cannot handle getting any Conflict. sort of feedback, feedback. on yeah. their behavior and how it can be impacting another person, then like they probably do not have the emotional maturity to be a good friend. Mm hmm. But that, like Gabby said, there's going out friends, right? There's friends where it's like more about We're just partying. like, yeah, like just like spending time with, but not that emotional closeness. But yeah. I would like release yourself from the guilt of like, what, what do I do? Because I think, like we said, unless like you are really close with that person, it's not, it's not on you. But I get why it would make you feel so uncomfortable and icky. Yeah. Ugh. I would I, hate that. Yeah. It's really stressful. Yeah. I think see what happens but you do you are not wrong for thinking like they might just be like whatever you i we're gonna go do what we want to do because we've all i feel like it's that thing too with like a group of friends where they test the waters like they'll like you know be dancing on some guy and they'll see if anyone if any of the friends say anything and then they'll like go in the next step and then people get normalized and they go you know what i mean like i feel like like i was friends with these girls and the one girl they would leave each other alone when they were drunk So like one girl and then so like one girl left this other girl at this guy's house when she was like the other girl was blackout and I freaked out and went back for her and she was like definitely blackout and he was like definitely going to do stuff to her. And then later the other girl was like, you're being so like because they had normalized this thing of like leaving. And I and then I like stirred the pot by being like, this is not okay." And then and then it brought down the whole house of cards and they were like, we don't want to be friends with you anymore. Well, you get to decide what type of cycles and what type of like, you know, behavior you want to be a part of. Exactly. And if you like if like the nature of the group is not sitting well with you, you can just try to remove yourself from the group because sometimes changing the nature of the group is too hard. Right, right, right. Hopefully that helps. If you want to submit your international question, you can, <laughs> what a heavy sigh. I know. <laughs> if you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Britt Frank. So stay tuned. Just between us. 
packages between us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, we have Britt Frank, a licensed psychotherapist and trauma expert. In addition to her private practice, Britt is also the author of The Science of Stuck, Breaking Through Inertia to Find Your Path Forward. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Welcome. Oh, no, we're so excited. You know, it's whenever we get pitched like someone in the mental health field, we always kind of go through like what their spiel is and whether it feels like it's promising too much because that's always something that's like scary for us and not something we want to like perpetuate for our listeners. But I feel like your approach is this really like lovely balance. Can you sort of speak to like your philosophy on all of this stuff? Yes. And thank you for saying that. And I was the, you know, I want to go from my life is a hot, disastrous mess to everything is roses and everything is great. And that's just not how it works. And so my work really focuses on how do we get from stuck to go, not from stuck to Instagram influencer status. But if we can just get from stuck to step one, those things tend to compound and add up really quick. But no one wants to talk about that because it's not sexy to talk about how to get from stuck to go. But that's what we need, because if we can get from stuck to go, then we can get from go to Zoom. And then like before we know it, we're doing our lives again. So that's sort of my shtick. What does stuck mean? Ah, thank you for asking that. So my disclaimer with all my work is if you are like in the Ukraine or if you are subject to oppression, that is not what I'm talking about. Like there are things way bigger and way beyond the scope of what I am talking about. When I'm talking about the word stuck, I mean, there's no logical reason why you can't do the thing you that, you know, you say you want to do. There's no logical reason. Your environment is safe enough. You have enough food. Your basic needs are met. And nevertheless, hour five of the doom scrollathon, hour 10 of binge watching, whatever the thing is. And here we are. So the word trauma tends to freak people out. It's like, I don't have trauma. It's like, OK, fine. But we all know what it's like to be stuck. Everybody, I don't care how functional you are, gets stuck someplace, myself included. And how can that like show up for us? Like how can we maybe notice that like we are getting into those cycles? So I had someone ask me that, like, how do I know if I'm stuck? I'm like, okay, well, let's do a quick, how is your relationship to your body? How is your relationship to the humans around you? How is your relationship to food, to sex, to money and to the general environment? If it's working for you, I'm not here to tell you you should be doing something different. But if it's not working or if it feels like something is missing or you're humaning and you're like you're doing OK, but just it's not really going that well. There are things about our brains that if we know them, it feels more like we're in the driver's seat and less like we're locked in the back of a trunk of a speeding car going 90. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can we get into the neuroscience of it all? Because I think sometimes it feels like I don't know why this thing works, but like you probably do know why certain things work. <laughs> well, the good news and I'm not an MD and I'm not a PhD. The good news about the neuroscience, it's sort of like driving a car or flying a plane. You don't need a whole and I took a flying lesson and I was horrified by how little you actually need to know to like get a plane up in the air and fly it. We just need some basic driver's ed types of things in order to get ourselves from stuck to go. And the most basic of which is your brain has a gas pedal, which is the you know sympathetic nervous system, the thing that makes us feel like get up and go. And when it's too high, we call that anxiety or panic. Your brain has a brake which is like the rest and digest. And when that's stuck, we feel depressed and lazy and we feel unmotivated. But we also have an emergency brake. And if the emergency brake in your car is on, you're not going anywhere. And it's not because your car sucks. And it's not because you're a bad driver. 
And so in our brains, our emergency break, they call it the dorsal vagal complex, is when we actually go into a freeze response. So fight, flight, freeze. It's a survival adaptation. It is not subject to logic or reason. You know, the pushback I get is, well, why is my emergency break on? Everything is fine. I shouldn't feel unsafe. It's like, well, no, you shouldn't. But be that as it may, your brain gets to decide automatically what counts as safe and unsafe. And the world is kind of burning down around us. So even though your immediate environment may be fine, you're part of a global society where things are not going well. So, you know, if your brain gets stuck to off, to shut down, it makes, let's just start with the assumption. It makes sense. Why? Because neuroscience, that's why. Do you think stuck is kind of feeding into productivity culture or do you mean stuck in the sense of like, you're not doing what you want to do or you're not having good relationships with people around you? Like just to clarify, because I feel like people would be like, I don't really particularly care to contribute more to my company or, you know what I mean? Yes. Thank you for clarifying that because we can get stuck in the off position, which is what I spend a lot of time talking about, but you can also get stuck in the on position. And that's where productivity culture tends to swoop in. And then that's when we're stuck and stressed and that masquerades as productivity and it masquerades as virtue. And you're such a good employee because you work 20 hours a day and you stay late and you work all weekend. So if our gas pedal is stuck on, we're going to feel burned out. We're going to feel stressed, overwhelmed, anxious. And if you're in productivity culture and you feel like crap, that's likely because your brain is over-functioning in the on direction. So yeah, you can get stuck in on, you can get stuck in off, both directions. Or you can ping pong between both. I had that for a while. (laughs) What do you mean? So stuck in the on position would be like, I am not sleeping and I'm smoking for me personally and I'm smoking meth and I'm up for five days and look how clean my house is and I'm doing all the things. And then you can only do that for so long before your brain shuts the system down. And now I'm laying on the couch and I've been asleep for two days and I can't shower or feed myself or do anything. And that ping pongs back and forth. Um, The mental health world will call that bipolar. And sometimes I I have bipolar disorder. It sounds like me. And I take meds. So I am not saying that bipolar is not a real mental illness. Like it is. I have severe mental illness on both sides of my family. Thank you, grandma, on both sides. But knowing that bipolar, aside from the physiological mental health stuff, also has a function in your nervous system. It's not going to make it magically go away. But if you know you have a brake pedal and a gas pedal, if you have bipolar, that can help at least alleviate some. Not all. And again, I'm not about let's magic all the mental health stuff away. Yeah. It's like, let's take it out of the rafters and make it a little bit more manageable. When I had, I struggled with borderline personality disorder for years and years. And no one told me, hey, guess what? If you have trauma from childhood, it's going to manifest in these ways. And here are ways you can work, not just with your thinking, not just with medication, which are all good but with your body also. Like we forget that our brains live inside physical bodies and our bodies interact with the environment because we're biological organisms. So we need it all. Yeah, I think a lot of with bipolar disorder, I do feel it in my body in the sense of numbness or vibration or like I'll know that I am in a manic episode if I look down and my hands are shaking. Um, Like there's a lot of neurological stuff to it, grinding my teeth, a lot of like that kind of aspect to it. And the gas pedal and brake pedal is something that I've talked about a lot. Only I've never heard it in that way, but I think, I don't know if I made this up, but I've always thought of it as like a train. My train is on a track 
And it could go one direction, which is blow up your whole life, which is where my brain wants to go 24 hours a day. But I am able to, because I have, I am on medication, I think, and because I know what's going on with me, I'm able to pull the lever and put the train on the right track. But that, the only reason, so it's like, I think people have this idea that when I'm on medication or when I'm like good, it's, it's that the train isn't even going, but that's not the case. The train is absolutely going and it wants to go, it wants to blow up everything, but having the one second to be able to, or giving me the time to be able to pull the lever and put it on the right track. That's all it's, that's happening. That's all it's doing. And that just comes from like the meds and also just awareness that there even is another track and that I have five seconds to pull the lever, which is a fun way to live. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't used the train analogy, but I will steal it and attribute credit. And what you're talking about, the space between stimulus and response is, I mean, that is really the key to this whole mental health thing. And the more space you can create, the more likely, like you said, you're going to be able to successfully pull the lever. But if I just thought I was crazy. Like I genuinely thought everybody in life knows how to human and I didn't get like all of the operating software installed and I am fundamentally broken. And so it was just stimulus response, action, reaction. There was no space when I learned, oh, hey, you have a brain and it does things that does create space. And five seconds can be the difference between staying on the track and like you said, blowing everything up, driving the train right into a bomb. Yeah. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. And for your personal journey, you know, at what point were you able to sort of feel a bit more, you know, in control and a bit more like, oh, OK, I, I understand that I might have this predisposition, but I don't have to give it all of my control. I wish I had like a and then a booming voice came <laughs> from the sky and I hit rock bottom and then I turned and pivoted and life was grand. I don't have I wish I did because it's a lot like neater and cleaner. I tried a lot of things. I joined a religious fundamentalist cult for a while because I thought if I do what I'm told and think and say and dress and wear, then I'll be OK. And that's not sustainable, but it was an interesting stopover on my path. And I was a drug addict and a sex and love addict and a codependent relationship addict. And it wasn't like just one thing did the trick. I did meds. I did therapy. I did DBT. I did CBT. And then really when I hit trauma therapy that focused on, hey, Britt, guess what? You have a body. You live dissociated 20 feet above your body. But like eventually we need to come down here because there's some things that you should probably look at. Well, I didn't want to look at anything because one, I had pain from my past that I didn't cause. But then two, I had all the things that I did cause in reaction to the pain from the past. And I didn't want to deal with what a piece of crap I was for many, many years. But really, it was I finally give up and I'm willing to look at all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, M. Scott Peck, who I love, he says mental health is often a commitment to reality. And when I was like, fine, I'll live in reality, it sucked and it was awful, but it was very much just claw your way forward. It was not linear. It was like, I'm clawing my way forward. Okay, I can catch a breath. Oh, wow, life sucks again. Oh, wait, I'm catching my breath again. And then it was like I looked around and life stopped sucking quite so hard. And then I got to neutral and then I got to good. But it was not linear and there was no discernible. Here was where the change happened. It was like falling on my face forward every few feet until that stopped. 
I think that's a better story. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. It's way more relatable. And it also, you know, otherwise you're just like waiting for that moment, right? You're like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not getting better because I haven't had this clear moment. But this story shows that like you actually are getting better behind the scenes. Things are happening mm-hmm. that maybe you're not realizing are going to have a payoff or that you're already on the on the right path, even if you backslide a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yes. And recovery. I think the recovery mental health world make it such a binary. You're either healthy or you're sick. You're in recovery or you're relapsing like you're good or you're bad. And it's so much messier than that. And so for me, it was just can I pick up dust off and keep going and try again and try again and try again. And it's not binary. You can be like super awesome in a great mental state and then feel like the biggest piece of crap in the same breath sometimes. And so it's not looking to be in the steady state of healthy. It's can I continue to shift with my life in a way that's sustainable, which is so much less pressure because then you don't have to worry like what if the, you know, what if the crap hits the fan? It's like it might and likely it will because life is life. But if I can learn to shift and like you said, if I can learn where the levers are and how to drive, then I can feel a little less overwhelmed. You know, like I don't ski. But if you put me on top of a giant mountain, I would freak out. If you put a skier on top of the mountain, they're going to be like, "Okay, cool, we can do this. So knowing a little bit of the mechanics is very useful. Is somatic therapy when you try to go back into your body or what is that? So somatic just means body. So there are a bajillion types of somatic therapies, anything that involves, hey, guess what? You have a body with like cells, organs and tissues and things is somatic. I'm trained in one called somatic experiencing which is a trauma-focused way of working with the body. Because trauma, that word gets tossed around pretty like haphazardly, but trauma is like brain indigestion. It means your body did not metabolize an experience for whatever reason. It could be good, it could be bad, it doesn't matter. We all have it to a degree, and we all experience it at some point to a degree. So somatic experiencing acknowledges you have a nervous system that records everything that happens to you, even if your cognitive, logical brain doesn't remember. Your body does always. Yay. And so if someone is like looking to, you know, get unstuck, like what are those first few steps that you would recommend? That's such a great tea up question because my biggest passion is stop asking why questions. When you are struggling either with low grade stuck or high level mental illness, Starting with why is not helpful. And I know there's a lot of bodies of work out there that are like, start with why. And that's great. And that works for some people. And if asking why works for you, have at it, do it. But if you start with a why question, you're unlikely to get moving. Insight is not the same as action. I can have all the insight in the world to why something is the way it is, but it doesn't change it. And asking why more likely than not will create shame. I don't know why I'm feeling this. I don't know why I'm like this. So, okay, well, let's leave the why for later. And let's start with what are five choices that you have right now? Not tomorrow, not next month, not next year, not after you buy all the gear. Like what are five tiny choices that you have right now of those? Let's pick one and then repeat. Once we get going, then we can do introspection and analysis and the how and the why and the who and the what. But Asking why right out of the gate will keep you stuck pretty quick. So step one, I'm stuck. Don't ask why, ask what. Step two, pick five choices. Step three, pick one. No matter how small, go, repeat. You give some examples of like what those choices yeah, might look choice? like. Yeah, so I might sit here and be like, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so anxious. Like we can get off this call and I will likely get into a vulnerability hangover. Oh my God, I sounded so stupid and I don't know what's wrong with me. And why didn't I say the things I wanted to say? 
So I could sit there and spin on that, or I could pick up my therapy sand and take 10 seconds to dig around in it, and then I could drink some water, and then I could leave my office and go outside, and then I can go to my car and call someone who will remind me that the likelihood that I was a hot flaming mess this whole hour is, you know, hopefully small, and then those little things, and then celebrating that I didn't go and smoke meth after this, or that I didn't go and like snort Vicodin after this, or whatever the thing might be. But we're so quick to minimize our little wins that we don't get anywhere. You know, celebrating isn't just like the saccharine, sentimental, like, yay, I'm celebrating. Celebrating is a brain hack. It shifts your physiology because when you celebrate, you're dancing and singing and yelling. All of those things tell your amygdala, okay, we're cool. She's not being eaten by a lion. Everybody at ease. So (laughs) celebrating really, really helps as far as brain hacks go. I love that. I feel like I've never had someone say so many things I just uh, agree with. Yeah. <laughs> I just think like so many things that you've said or things I've said or that I've thought about or the way that I view it all, you know, yeah. and like, because like mental health is obviously like not a monolith. Like people have so many different viewpoints, but so many of the things you're touching on are like, well, you know, I'm in school for psychology are the things that like I've connected with the most. And mm. like, you know, I've learned so many different things, but like the things I've really connected with is like insight alone doesn't solve problems. Like, you, you know, you have to like, like even your disclaimer at the beginning, like sometimes like it's external stuff and you can't get unstuck if it's external stuff. But if it's not external stuff, maybe these things will work, you know, like I'm just fangirling at this point. But uh, I, just, <laughs> I have a, a basic question because I'm I'm not <laughs> I'm not a professional like you guys, but because I hear a lot about this. And, and so if somebody's like you mentioned disassociating outside of your body. So can you explain that and some symptoms? Because maybe I feel like someone listening would be like, that would be helpful to them to know if maybe that's what's going on with them. Yeah. And if you don't know what dissociating is, it's freaking terrifying. Like of all the things I've had to work through, dissociation, knowing that that's a thing and here's what it is, was really helpful. So dissociation, I mean, we've all experienced sort of highway hypno, like hypnosis where you're driving down the highway and next thing you know, you're in a state, you know, two states away and you missed your exit <laughs> and you sort of go into this trance because our brains go into autopilot. And so dissociation can look like hyperfocus. It could also look like, you know, I didn't even realize I had a body until like way later in my process when my therapist said, what do you feel in your body? I'm like, I don't understand this question. <laughs> I, I, I don't feel anything. Like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm like, I'm angry. I was mad about something. She's like, well, ha- where in your body do you, is, does it feel angry? And yeah. we argued for like an hour. I'm like, I don't understand what you're <laughs> asking me. So if you do not have any physiological body sensations, then the likelihood, you know, we call it daydreaming or being spacey or disconnected. And that's basic dissociation. And at its most extreme, and I had this and it was really unpleasant, is this pervasive sense of unreality. Like, I don't know if I'm in a dream. I don't know. Is this like an an NPC character in a video (laughs) game? Is this real? I can't actually figure out, am I conscious or am I unconscious? Is this real or not real? I don't even know if I exist. And it's terrifying when that happened. I remember when I lived in L.A., that happened on one of the highways. I'm like, oh, crap, I need to pull over right now because I am about to explode or go crazy. So dissociation is both feeling out of body, feeling hyper focused on something or having the sense of non-reality or not feeling like a human. Yeah, because I feel like I remember like there's like dissociation where like you feel like you are not connected to your body. And then there's like derealization, right, where you feel like you're not connected to the world. Is that? (laughs) Yes, that's exactly right. 
Yeah, there's depersonalization, which is I'm not real, you're not real, who's real? Derealization is this isn't reality, nothing is real. And there's dissociating, which is when you're floating outside your body. But what people don't often talk about is you can dissociate out, but you can also dissociate in. And at somatic trainings, you tend to see a lot of this because body workers and somatic practitioners, like we're so aware of our bodies. I could dissociate in like and be like, I can sense that my liver is feeling very sad. And I picture my liver as this ball of red inside of my stomach. It's like, Britt, no, you're sad. Like, (laughs) let's just be sad. Like, be sad. So anytime you're hyper-focused on the physical sensations or hyper-focused on not being in your body, those are both ways that our brain protects us from painful whatever. And again, neither of them is bad. It's just we need to know what, what's going on so we can feel like we're managing it. Conscious dissociation is a great little skill to have. Like if you're at the airport, I don't want to be fully mindful and present while I'm traveling. <laughs> I don't want to be embodied when I'm at the dentist getting a root canal. Like being able, I call it dissociation with like a tether. If I can dissociate out during a painful experience, but know I have a tether back to my body, then it's safe. When I'm around people that I don't particularly feel safe around, mm-hmm. that's a great time to consciously dissociate. So dissociation is not bad. It is just a thing and it could be good or bad depending on how in control we feel of it. And we all experience it, right? Like you said, the highway thing, a lot of times it happens in the shower. Like anytime that you're losing time is something. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, yeah. it, I feel like we, it's one of those terms that's like, oh, that's only severely mentally ill people, but it's really like we're all have moments of that. It's everybody. And that's why, you know, this binary of there are the mentally ill and there are the mentally well. It's like, no, there's humaning. And some people have an easier time of humaning than others. And if you're experiencing mental illness and you need to take meds, that's fine. But it doesn't put you in this other category. And I know because I sit with people all day, every day who may not necessarily have like a di- an official DSM diagnosis, but they're suffering. We're just not going to label it with any particular type of thing. Mm-hmm. But that's why I call it stuck and I don't call it trauma. It's like regardless of where you fall on the spectrum, we all experience pain, shame and suffering to a degree and we all deserve to heal from it. Yeah, it's interesting the disconnection from the body, like even so both my partner and I are trans and my partner often uh, forgets to eat or like doesn't uh, isn't aware when they're hungry. And we were talking about how that's like them not being aware of anything happening in their body, like they don't know, like they, they can't figure out they said they've, you know, left their body so many times because of the transness that they like can't realize that they're hungry even which is like, you know, it, it sounds small, but then it manifests in them being like, I'm angry. And I'm like, are you angry or have you not had lunch? <laughs> it's like, do I need to, you know, go away somewhere or do I need a sandwich? And it's yeah. really true. And there's no small dissociating. If you don't know that, if it's not safe to live in your body, then like no place is ever going to really feel like home. Yeah. You know, I wrote that in my book. It's like until it becomes safe enough to live inside where we live, like we all experience our humanity inside bodies. Mm -hmm. If it's not safe in there because of oppression, because of stigma, because of whatever, Mm -hmm. then we're going to be floating 
around experiencing all kinds of symptoms and we're going to feel crazy and ashamed. And it's yeah. there's no such thing as a crazy person and no shame. Dissociation is a survival adaptation and it's a damn good one. Dissociation keeps little kids alive when they're being abused. You know, as a yeah. little kiddo, they, I got made fun of for being a daydreamer and spacey. It's yeah, like, well, too. I was being sexually abused as a child and it was safer. I couldn't drive a car. I had no money. I was little. So if I could float on the ceiling, I could get through it. Yeah. So hooray for dissociation. We don't want to stay there, but honor its function. Yeah. And that's the thing is like all symptoms serve a function. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and we don't really realize that. But I think a lot of ways to like sort of attack these symptoms is like, OK, what function is it serving and how can I serve it in a different way? Yes, that's my whole that's like the crux of my whole message is like all symptoms make sense in context. You may never really know the context, especially if you've blocked out half your life. You don't have to go digging for memories. Let's just start with the assumption that every symptom has a context. And then it's how do we make your brain feel a little safer? Because a brain that feels safer is not going to exhibit as it's, it'll still have symptoms because, again, humaning. But our symptoms get a lot more manageable when we understand how the safety danger thing works inside of our brain. And yeah, there's no such thing as crazy. All symptoms make sense in context. Yes. Wow. We're going to take a quick break for ads, but then we'll be right back with our guest. Just between us. And we're back. How does, you talked about drugs a bit. How does sobriety, are you sober? Do you mind if I ask? How do you define sobriety? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know because I don't drink, but I, I hand me a pill and I'll take it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll answer that. Yeah, I don't define sobriety as abstinence. Yeah. And, you know, some people equate if you're sober, you're abstinent. And it's like, that's great for some people. But you don't again, that's a binary of either you're an addict or you're abstinent. Yeah. I am in recovery. I don't do meth. I don't do heroin. I right. don't pop pills unless they're prescribed. I take them and I enjoy them and that's free. But, you know, to me, sobriety is about, are, am I in reality? Am I telling on myself? Am I aware of what I'm doing and yeah. why? And if I go totally off track, am I willing to get back on? That's sobriety. So I've been sober in that sense for a long time, but I don't have a sobriety date because I was addicted to so many things. It's like sober from what? From yeah. sex, from love, from codependency, from cigarettes, from hard drugs, from like socially acceptable, like which thing? Right. So abstinent, no, sober, yes. Yeah, I was just curious how that played into everything as like in terms of a coping mechanism. As someone I really, six months oh, sober from alcohol, not to brag. <laughs> Yay! Oh my gosh, first six months suck. How you doing? Okay, here's the thing. Every single person in my family is like an addict and um, somehow I'm fine. I'm like, I'm like, great. I'm like, oh, you don't have to ever be hungover. This is amazing. The only time is like sometimes socially. I'm like, I feel weird. But then I just hold a seltzer. It's amazing. And I, I was going to say, I had to be abstinent for a while while I was in recovery. And it's hard when you have to explain it. I wish we could just normalize. Like, mm -hmm. it's a seltzer in line. Why aren't you drinking? Why, does, why is this a thing? Why? You know, I don't know if you find that. But having to explain is annoying. Yeah. Or be around. I think being around people who are drunk. I'm like, oh, no, like you you're go, you're rambling um, and I'm completely here for it. Like I'm 100 percent aware of your story not making sense. And I just have to be like, uh huh. 
<laughs> it's frustrating. And again, you know, I did the 12-step rooms for many years, yeah. many, many years, and they saved my life. But when I moved away from sobriety is not abstinence, mm-hmm. I was no longer welcomed in the rooms because I could not, I couldn't say I'm sober because I'm, quote, using. And I also don't do the I am affirmation. Yeah. I am an addict. It's like parts of me our, our personality is made up of infinite, you know, sub part, part of me likes drugs, part of me likes carrots, part of me likes cupcakes, part of me likes long walks on the beach. So there are parts of me that use addiction as a coping mechanism. It's not who I am in some total. There are parts of me that when I'm in danger, they will suit up and show up and, you know, destroy my life in the process. But the intention is to protect me from threat. Again, it doesn't excuse it. But oh, it yeah. does explain it and it's it changes the framing. It's not I am an addict and I am bad. It's parts of me found that doing this kept me alive and it worked. So, you know, let's make it so those parts don't have to work so hard anymore because that's a crappy job. Mm. With working with your clients, you know, have you seen there be any like similar takeaways in the journey where like kind of like moments of like just a reframe that is like really helpful? If they don't want to reframe, we don't end up staying together that long because I am so big on we're going to reframe the crap out of this. And again, I meet people where they're at and I don't impose an agenda, but I'm also not going to let you, you know, totally poop on yourself on my watch if we can reframe it in an equally accurate but less shaming way. Why not do that? But I found knowing that our personality is not this one mono mind thing, but that we actually contain multitudes, all of us. And if you understand how parts work, good parts, bad parts, shadow parts that have bad, you know, when people talk about intrusive thoughts, which I get because I've had them, often what we're experiencing are these very, very deep, pained parts of ourselves that want our attention. And so, again, all the symptoms make sense in context. So knowing that we have parts, again, de-shames everything. Like, I, I don't have children, but when I work with parents, they feel awful. It's like, oh, my God, what's wrong with me? Part of me hates my kid. I'm like, isn't it great that you're made up of parts? And of the infinite parts, it's okay that a few of them are not enjoying this parenting thing. Yeah. So the parts work is a big focus of how I frame everything that I see and work with. I love that. Yeah, because I, you know, as a mental health advocate, like and as someone who's been in therapy on and off since I was like four years old, like, you know, like lately I've just been like returning to these really negative thoughts about myself and especially around my like career. And it's like it's just like such a bummer to like always be in that place, to like go back to that place year after year, like. And and I think like the reframe of like, OK, well, part of me is doing this, but that's not like there are other parts of me that that don't feel that way. But it's just the loudest part in the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And if you don't know that you're made of parts, then the loudest part in the room becomes the state of being. Right. So I am a piece of crap. I am never going to go anywhere. I am never going to figure out what I care about and what I want to do. Like that's a that's too much pressure. And with that type of pressure on our psyche, our amygdala is going to go, oh, shoot, they're being attacked and then fight, flight, freeze. And then more of the thing you don't want. And then the only explanation there is it must be me. And like, I do not fundamentally believe that there are any broken people. Like we get damaged, we get beat up, we need band-aids and psych meds and all of the things. 
But at the core of us is, you know, something that like the the eye of a hurricane is sunny and it's pretty up there. Same thing, I think, with people. You know, you get past all the defenses, you get through all the noises. Eventually, you're going to find a solid center that's impervious to stuck. <laughs> so, yeah. I've also found because I, I have OCD and I think a lot of OCD treatment is sort of like acknowledging the thought and being like, yeah, maybe, <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> this thing of like, I'm a, you know, like I'm, I'm never going to have another career success instead of like fighting that. It's just like, yeah, maybe that's true. All right. <laughs> you know, like, and it's still sort gotta, of like, still gotta be here. Yeah. Like it's sort of this like counterintuitive. Like I feel like so many of the ways that we actually are helpful to talk to ourselves is like not what you think would be helpful. <laughs> yeah. No toxic positive. I love that. And I have different manifestations of OCD as well. I had the hair pulling one, the trichotillomania. And so my version of uh, well, maybe is, yeah, that's probably a little bit true. Or yeah, that's probably partially true. So if I have imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't know anything. That's probably a little bit true. Or like you're a really terrible partner. Yeah, that's probably a little bit true. And if we can put this into parts and pieces, it takes the pressure off the whole system because we can deal with anything if it's a piece or a part. If it's the whole, there's nothing to do but collapse. Whoa. Well, thank you for this therapy session. It's been really helpful. I needed it. (laughs) I'm on a break from therapy, so this was a real booster for me. Um, (laughs) And now I would love if you would play a game show. Yay, games! I'm so oh here my God. for this. Yes. Well, let's see if you're ready for this one. <laughs> what part of you will take dominance during hypothetical? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so in this game, you and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have, and then you tell me what you would do with that situation, and I decide if I like your answer. The pressure's on. <sighs> Couldn't be less pressure. The first one is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? You find out that your partner of 60 years conducted an emotional affair with their dental hygienist 42 years ago, but it only went on for three months during the time they had a lot of dental related issues and were feeling badly about themselves. They only mention it when they see the dental hygienist's obituary and start to cry. Would you stay with this cheater? Brit? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry that's like the funniest hypothetical I've ever heard okay uh, yes I would. would even though it was yeah. even though they're still really upset over this yeah, person why were dying because they, they they you know it was a love of theirs they've lost a the love what is what do you count as an emotional affair Ooh, that's a great question I think well broadly I think any behavior that if your partner found out about it, you knew they wouldn't be happy about it. Mm. And that's different. So in 60 years, have you never done anything in the scenario that would equate an emotional affair? No, you're perfect. (laughs) (laughs) In this one area of your life, you have never had an emotional affair. What do you consider an emotional affair? I was like, I guess if you're if you're with someone and you're like, yeah, I guess what you just said. But if you're saying I love you and stuff. Right. Like so in this like specific one, romantic. it was really a sense of like, you're the only one that understands me and my tooth pain. Yeah. OK. You're the yeah, only yeah, yeah. one that I can Were go they... to about my root canal and you make me feel warm inside like the gas that the dentist gives me. Were they talking shit about me? Um, They said that you just didn't understand their their mouth. Because my job isn't dentist. Right. You're not a dental hygienist. 
you don't understand my roots, <laughs> my cavities. Uh, and they've never had sex. This is an emotional situation. Right, because the dental hygienist was married as well. And they both wanted to honor the, the sanctity of marriage. But that was the only reason they didn't. Bullshit. So again, sanctity of marriage as defined by is is emotional or sexual infidelity the the only is that the the panacea or are there other things that i may have done like lied or withheld or moved money around or mm. how do we want to define sanctity of marriage because well, if it's considering like it was 42 years ago they thought it was only <laughs> at that time they thought it was only sex but now we have a more modern understanding of marriage which you oh, can I'm... read about in my book coming out 2024 <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I'd stay. You'd stay. I'd stay. I feel like I feel like I don't know she's dead. You know what I mean? Also, I should mention your partner now has full dentures so you're not at risk of that happening again. <laughs> no. No. I am from a family of dentists if you can't tell from this humor. Oh, I could go down the analysis train on that one. Oh my god. <laughs> You know, what's funny is that sometimes you say it's been 60 years or whatever. And I imagine that like it's 2030 yeah. and that I'm 60 in this timeline. But then but then sometimes it's like, oh, no, this actually took place in like 1970, whatever. And you're 60 now. Yeah, I switch it up based on what works best for me. So then I'm like, are we in the future <laughs> where like everyone has like robot teeth? You know what I mean? Uh, no, this one will go backwards. And you go and you don't ever have to go to the dentist no not not this for this one sorry okay i'm sorry but why why would they need to be robots the teeth yeah <laughs> why do they need to have can they just be not real teeth what they're moving why are they robots yeah, each single tooth is a little robot and at night you go like and their little teeth come out and they have little they spider legs and they walk out and they clean themselves and then they walk back into your Pixar, mouth and Pixar, pay attention to this. Yes, That's a Pixar yes. movie I will watch. Yes. And everyone yes, yes. sleeps. It's weird because it's the future and everyone sleeps with their mouth <laughs> wide open. So their little teeth can crawl out and clean themselves and crawl back Ew. in. And well, I didn't. I'm sorry. That's the future. <laughs> That's what that's efficient. And it happened so slowly. We didn't even notice. And now we're like, <laughs> I, I would notice that. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> I would. No, you wouldn't. Did you notice when TikTok was getting popular? I did. And I was confused. All right. All right. Anyway, so we're all staying. We're staying. With we're staying. Our we're staying. Cheater. We're staying. Our Why? Spirit. Because now, you know, it's, it's just too long. Whatever. It's too long and whatever. And they don't even have teeth anymore. And I don't know. But somebody did send me an a article about a couple in their 90s where the woman had cheated like 30 years before and the man is now divorcing her. Well, wow. Do you know what did she do? A, a cheatson. But like with who? I don't know. I didn't really look at the article. I just thought that's funny. That's like a hypothetical. It is like a hypothetical. <laughs> and I think I think, you know. I don't know that I agree with that man, but you know what I think? I think he's probably looking for an out. Oh, he was like looking for an out. The same and then thing. He was like 30 years ago. You cheated on me. I'm out. But he was mm -hmm. like already planning to like move down to Key West. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our next game. <laughs> Are you a terrible parent? Your child, 15, has had the same best friend for 12 years. But one day they have a massive falling out. Your child is distraught, so you go behind their back and talk to their former best friend and end up convincing her to give your child another chance and stay friends. 
They reconcile and remain extremely close until 20 years later when the best friend steals your child's spouse and destroys their family. Are you a terrible parent? What was the initial falling out about? Uh, your friend, your your daughter had um, spread a mean rumor about the friend. And did your daughter ever find out? Did the friend keep a secret that the mom told? Yeah, your daughter never knew you were the reason they became friends again, only for this person to then destroy her family but 20 why, years later. Why did my daughter spread a rumor? She was feeling like that her friend was getting closer with this other girl and she was feeling really upset and jealous and she at 15 didn't have proper emotional regulation. Okay. And so, I mean, I don't think I'm responsible for what this person goes on to do. You're not taking responsibility for this person's actions 20 years in the future? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think I think like maybe my kid was not such a good friend and maybe that's where I I messed up as a parent because Clearly, this maybe this girl was like holding on to this resentment all this time and was waiting 20 years to be able to like have sex with my my daughter's spouse. You know what I mean? Like she's holding on to it and she's like, one day I will fuck this person's spouse and then I will get my revenge. Wow. That's how your brain works. <laughs> yeah, Melissa thought that too. So maybe oh my God. the only way I could see it being my fault is if is if I didn't raise my daughter right. You know what I mean? Hmm. Brit, my faults. I'm going with my faults. And not just because of the future life devastation. If I go around my daughter's back to her best friend, the message I'm sending my daughter is, I don't believe in you. You are weak. You are not able to solve life's problems. I don't believe in you. I am better than you. So much so that I'm not going to create a triangle with you and your best friend. Right. It's going to be fueled by secrets and lies. And then I'm going to wonder why you end up in toxic relationships with pathological sociopaths. So yeah, that was a bad mom move. Move. I'm not into shaming go, parents, but that was a bad move. I'm going to go behind their back and I'm going to go to the girl and be like, you better fucking get, you better get them back together. You dumb. Oh, you're going to continue yeah. meddling. Yeah. Going. Meddling <laughs> I'm going to go, you better get my daughter and her spouse back together right this instant. Right this instant, young lady. That's what I'll say. Okay. Because I'm an adult. So you remain a terrible parent. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I fight my battle. I fight her battles for her all her life. And now look what happened. <laughs> okay, our final game. Would you forgive this liar? You were away on your first business trip since becoming a parent. You call your partner to see how everything is going with your six-month-old, and they assure you it's all going well. Oh, no. When you return home, you learn that your baby actually had a very high fever and had to go to the hospital, <gasps> but is now fine. Your partner didn't want you to worry while you were away. Would you forgive this liar? No, 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 no. Why not? Because the something could have happened to the baby. The baby could have died, and then I wouldn't have even been there. I wouldn't have even known. I'm out. I'm out at a work conference having drinks with fucking Steve and Dave, not even knowing that my <laughs> baby's in the hospital with a fever. No. And then what? And then he just gets to make decisions for the baby's health without me? No. Would you, was it divorce? Yeah, it's divorce. <sighs> well, and it's also, yeah, it's divorce. Yeah. I, that, I, that's so, I hate when my, maybe I just have a lot of like, because my parents do that all the time where they'll be like, okay, so, but they'll be like, dad's home from the hospital. And I'll be like, dad was in the hospital? So like, I think like, I, no, no, the ba I want to come home. The baby's sick. Yeah. 
What do you think? Well, I don't have kids, and this might be a reason why. I'm like, cool. Thank you for handling that so I can have <laughs> drinks with Steve and Dave out at the conference. And thanks for taking care of that for me. Everything cool? All right. That's not necessarily, I don't think that is the healthiest answer nor the most maternal answer, but I think I'd probably be okay with it. And then if it ever happened again, raise bloody hell. Hospital. The baby could have like scarlet fever. I think I would, um, I would be like, you can never do that again. Right. I think I would, they would be like, you know, new parents, you're not thinking clearly, you're figuring out how you're navigating it all. I would be like, okay, but you can, if you ever do that again, divorce. No, divorce. (laughs) But Gabby's a one and done kind of person. I can't, like, cheat on me. Listen, cheat on me with your dental hygienist 40 years ago. Fine. Take my baby to the hospital once. Divorce. (laughs) Perfect. How would he roll that out? Okay, let me explain something. I he the baby's dead, right? How does he roll that out to me exactly? <laughs> the baby's fine though in this scenario. And it never got to a point like, you know, they took it to the hospital as a cautionary measure. But the, like I think if they they had said if if the doctors were worried, they would have told you, but the doctors weren't worried. No. No. Whoa. I don't get to make decisions for the baby's health. The baby doesn't even like you. The baby doesn't <laughs> like Honestly, here's a no, no. Babies love me. Babies love me. I know. I'm just messing with And you. I was holding Mal's niece, my partner's niece, newborn. And uh, the sister was like, ooh, Gabby's going to want one now. And I'm like, no, I don't. Like, that's how much like that baby is so cute. And I love it. And even if I if I if that doesn't make me want one, then I definitely don't want one. But I like looking at them. They're super cute. And they're so little. If you take it to the hospital. Here's the thing. If a baby is sick, that's like their whole body because their body's so small. Like if you have a headache, it's just your head. But if a baby has a headache, it's like, where's the headache going? It's just their whole body. Well, we'll unpack that <laughs> later. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out all the work that you're doing and get your book? I want to be a fly on the wall of your conversation <laughs> so badly right now. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Brit Frank. Brit has two T's. It is not short for Brittany. Yes, I am sure. Yes, that is my legal name. <laughs> at Brit Frank. Or the book is scienceofstuck.com and you can buy the book wherever books are sold. Thank Amazing. you. Thank you so much. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about nibblings. <laughs> <laughs> back to just between us it's time for topic x x x x x x baby 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 <laughs> cute like a real little baby so this week because my my sister was in town with with her children last weekend i thought let's talk nibblings baby let's get into it nieces nephews nibblings nibblings is also the funniest term i've ever heard it is extremely funny it's extremely <laughs> funny <laughs> We've been testing Mal's nieces with what to call me. And mostly Harper just calls me Gabby. But we were then we were trying like Uncle Gabby. But it's also very funny because she doesn't have a grasp on pronouns. So they change all the time. So for her baby sister, she'll say like he's hungry or for like, you know, me or Mal changes all the time. So it's kind of it's kind of nice. But I I have no idea. I'm like, what What does Mal go by? Uncle Mal. 
or Mally, which is super cute. And also the way she says it is funny. She'll be like, Mow. So it's kind of like with like an O, (laughs) Mow, which is very, very cute. So there's no gender neutral term for having a niece or nephew. Is there? I don't know. I don't know what they they are. We were, we joke that we're gunkles, which is like gay uncles. (laughs) And like we talk about, because we have the cabin. So we always talk about like, like, if it's her prom being like, okay, you and your, you and your friends can use the cabin, but we do have cameras. So don't do anything bad. You know, like we talk about like a future where she's like, oh, my gay uncles have this really great cabin on a lake. You know what I mean? And that's us. What was it like having them in town? Oh, it was so lovely, you know, cause I live in New York and so I don't get to see them that often, but this was like probably like the most just like time I've spent with them in so long. Like we just like, you know, it was like three days of just, well, I guess four days of, of just like quality time of mm-hmm. just like being in each other's presence and hanging out and they got to feel more comfortable around John. And, you know, it's just being a aunt is such a wonderful thing because you don't have to be with them all the time. Oh, <laughs> love yeah. it. <laughs> love it. Absolutely. Well, how old are how old are they now? Eight and five. So though they can like actually hang. Well, they were starting. They were like occupying each other for a bit, which was really oh, lovely. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Melissa, you have a lot of nieces I and nephews. I do. I have my biological ones from age 16 to two. Wow. And six of them. And then I've got like bonus another six. Whoa. <laughs> the ones, like friends you mean or cousins yeah. or friends, friends kids? Yeah. yeah. The ones who are teenagers, I always wonder, like <laughs> Drew, my friend Drew is so pragmatic and we were talking about Harper and Drew was like, and just think in, in, a, in you know, when she's 18, you'll get lunch with her and she'll, she'll be able to tell you how she's doing. <laughs> really? oh, I talk to my, actually all my nieces and nephews yeah. all the time, but I talk to the 16, well, she's 15. She'll be 16 in a couple months. I talk to her. She calls me like every day. Really? Yeah. And that's like, so nice. That's what I mean. And is it, and you know, what's interesting too, is that I'm very close with my aunt, like my aunt Michelle super close. And I, I have talked to her where I'm like, isn't it so weird that you knew me when I was a baby? I'm like, isn't it bizarre that like I was a baby and now I'm like calling you to just like shoot the shit. <laughs> and she's, I was like, do you remember me as a baby? And she's like, yeah, it doesn't feel that long ago. <laughs> and I'm like, cause I was like a full baby. And she's like, I know. And now we're friends. <laughs> I think there's something nice about having nibblings when you don't have kids. Like, cause I'm sure like my aunts and uncles, like, you know, they were around when I was growing up, but they had their own kids. So yeah. like you didn't get that same like level of attention or like personal relationship. Right. Yeah. Michelle doesn't have kids. Right. But like so, for us, it's like, these are the children in our lives. So yeah. they're like a huge priority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love, I'm happy that we live in a time where we have FaceTime because I yeah. literally see them all the time, mm-hmm. like all the time. Yeah. My nieces have started figuring out how to one time I had a face call with the older one while she was doing her homework and it was very funny I was like trying to help her but I wasn't very good at it oh god nothing makes you realize you didn't retain anything faster than trying to help a kid do their homework I know I'm like like, how do I spell this I was like could not tell you don't know absolutely don't know speaking of I looked up with the ginger ginger what is it it's pibbling because it's like parent sibling me so it would be no, pibbling Gabby that. no yeah I like That's I want to just be called because I might I don't know if I'm going to change my name but I'm like what if Gabby is just the title so I just like it's like Gabby is the name or Gabby is the title and then and then whatever name I choose like so then she can keep calling me Gabby but it's like instead of uncle you know what I mean yeah you can make up the I'm rules. making it up yeah mm-hmm. I'm making it up 
It's also very funny also trying to get her to understand the relationship like between me and Mal because I've been around since Harper was born. So to Harper, I'm I've always been here. I'm part of her family, which I remember being like 11 or 12 and realizing that Stephen was just Michelle's husband. <laughs> like I thought like I just it never occurred to me. I was like, he's my uncle. We're related. You know what I mean? So when I was like, oh, he's just Michelle's husband. Oh, that you're not like blood related. Yeah, like that. It didn't occur to me because he'd always been around and she even had a husband before Stephen. But this just like didn't occur to me. And so, like, I wonder, I'm like, so, you know, Harper sees me as like, I've always been there. Yeah. yeah. And so when I was like telling her, like, I was like, me and Mal are getting married. She's like, OK. And then now she'll repeat it. She'll be like, you guys are getting married. And we'll be like, we are getting married and you'll be there. You'll be at the wedding. And she's like, kind of gets it. But to her, it's like, I'm I'm just as related to her as like Mal is, right. which Mal is like, God damn it. Mal's like, you, I could send you away at any time. Yeah. It's like my friend. It's not, this is not related to the story at all. Thing. Oh, but that's okay. That's <laughs> but okay. Like my friend Mary, her son uh, Jordan, who considered my nephew, he is now in the same class as two of my actually my niece's nieces. Oh, like, and so like they call each other cousins. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh, that's really sweet. Uh, my poor nieces have had to meet so many f- almost uncles. <laughs> right. That's why so I don't introduce anyone until I'll actually be married. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. In my defense, I thought I was getting that's married. True. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing is that I met when I met Mal's sister, she was pregnant. Right. So but that's so nice that you'll have gotten to know them their whole life. Yeah. And the new one and the new little baby that just got born. Yeah. Their whole their whole life. And I get along with Harper. Like Harper. It's so it's so satisfying when like Mal calls her and then I'll hear from the other room like I want to talk to Gabby. Where's Gabby? And I'm like, hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The thrill of being their favorite, but also how exhausting it is to be their favorite. I have to play with her so much. Yeah. I don't get exhausted. I don't get tired. I like I like playing with her. I love it. I get so exhausted. I love it. I can talk to them on the phone all the time. I can play with them all the time. Like it does not exhaust me at all. I do not have that kind of stamina. I love the attention. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I also like I also like what when they what they say because mm-hmm. she's two and a half, almost three, and so there's no lying. So oh, yeah. like she'll like pet my head and be like, I like your hair, Gabby. And I'm like, you know, and that's real. Thank yeah. you so much. Does she still call you potato? <laughs> she, she has a Mrs. Potato Head that it she calls Gabby. Now, do I so very much resemble Mrs. Potato Head? Yes. Uh, when you put it side by side, it's uncanny. And you can also take the glasses off and on. And on, glasses <laughs> off and on. Yeah. yeah. So, so she does call her Mrs. Potato Head Gabby. Okay. I thought it was the other way around. No, no, no. She named it Gabby. Got and it. then the sister was like, what is this called? And then she's like, this is Gabby. And then it's like, oh. Well, Smart any- kid. Yeah. yeah. Anytime it's a cartoon where it's like a dark haired boy and like someone else, another character, girl or boy with colorful hair, she'll be like, Mal and Gabby. And it's like, yeah, pretty much. Love it. Yeah, I uh, find it exhausting to be around children. (laughs) I understand. Yeah, I'm excited for, I'm excited to like be the quote unquote cool aunt. Yeah. Like I'm already, I'm like hoping that like as they get older, it's like, oh, I can't talk to my mom about this. I'm going to call Aunt Allie. Yes. That's my dream. Yeah. It gets a little much where you have to tell. 
Oh, well, that's the thing is like <laughs> sometimes they'll ask me these like kind of provocative questions. And, like I, I don't know how I'm supposed to answer it. Yeah, right. but, and you have to toe the line between like I need to tell this, but also I still need to make it a safe space so that they know that right. they can still come to me when mm-hmm. they have stuff. So it's interesting. It's, it's tricky. It's, yeah. And if you're exhausted now, but you you like. You're like good at giving advice and stuff. I like, so yeah. So you you're, you'll probably be able to not separate even a little bit. Well, not even advice, but like <laughs> we were watching old home movies. Mal's family and Mal were watching old home movies, and and we they were saying to Harper, "Who's that? That's Becky. Who's that? That's Steffi. Who's that?" And it's Mal as a kid, and Harper's like. Mm, and Mal's like, oh, uh, yeah, Uncle Mal used to be a girl. You know what? We'll explain that later. <laughs> like, so I, I feel like that's something where like Steffi's fine, but uh, like with you know, but like yeah, like what when they ask a question, like what do you say? You know, like something like where do you go after you die? Like how does yeah. Jocelyn want me to answer that? Like exactly. you know, like yeah. certain things where like you know it would be it's always difficult to answer. But like if it's your own kid, it's like you can pick how you want. Right. But like, exactly. You're kind of trying to pick within like the worldview that like their parents want also, for them. And it's yeah. difficult. <laughs> Even like disciplining. Like I had to catch myself. Steffi said it's fine. But like, you know, Harper, we were at ice cream and Harper threw a rock. And I was like, hey, no. And then I was like, oh, like, am I supposed to? I can't, yeah. you know, I shouldn't discipline someone else's kid. But like I was, but Steffi was like, no, she clearly shouldn't be throwing a rock. Like, that's fine. You know what I mean? But I just instinctually was like, uh-uh. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I can't. Yeah. The way to discipline too. That's, yeah. that's more of a line that I toe with like my friends, but like me and my sisters are all on the same page yeah, about yeah. stuff. But yeah, it's, it's tricky. Yeah. And Steffi is, and Steffi and her husband are such good parents. Like they give, they give her options. They'll be like, you know, what do you, they'll ask things. They give her time. They They'll like, they're very, you know, this is why you can't do this. Like such good parenting. So then I don't want, so then I try to like do that too, where I'll be like, Hey, we don't throw rocks because people could get hurt, you know, like rather than just sort of being like, no. Right. But it's like, yeah, it's, it's also Mal and I sometimes are like, aren't you so jealous of how Harper's getting raised? (laughs) Like, wow. What great parenting. What's that like? Just kidding. But you know what I mean? It's like now modern times, there's different, like with modern parenting, I think it's very different. Yeah. Yeah. And just like we're leaving now versus like, okay, so in five minutes, you know what I mean? It's very different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, (laughs) my nieces and nephews will set a timer now because they have phones. So they'll set a timer. It's like, okay, this is the time. So Ah! it kind of like teaches them about time, but it's also weird (laughs) that they're setting their own timers yeah yeah Yeah, and they know well they want to make sure they get their full time exactly exactly she's also very like mischievous and funny where she'll be like like she they were like okay you can't go down to the basement because we're leaving in two minutes and I was sitting with her and she can only go down to the basement if she's holding someone's hand so she like turns to me and she's like Gabby hold my hand and I'm like hold your hand you've never asked me to hold your hand before I just feel like and she's like, no, I want to hold hands. And I'm like, do you or do you just want to go to the basement? And she's like, no, I want to hold your hand. And I'm, and I'm like, well, Harper, it's just interesting because you've never, ever asked to hold my hand before. So I feel like you are just going to walk me towards the basement. No, Gabby, hold my hand. Did you do it? 
Yeah, she walked me towards the basement. <laughs> Obviously, it was a trick. Do they ever do the thing where they know that if they ask their parent, yeah, absolutely, the thing that they can't do it, but they'll ask, but they'll be looking at the parent, but like asking you yes. or the opposite way, hundred <laughs> percent. Yes, it's so funny. My oldest niece has the funniest personality, but like. It's one of those things where she says things that maybe she shouldn't be saying, but they're so funny. Yeah. But it's like how I'm going to positively reinforce this by laughing, know, even though laugh, that I'm not I supposed know, to. We laugh. It's so bad. Yeah. Like, what does she say? Oh, man. She's just like a pisser. She has just like she just has like some. Oh, my God. My sister asked them what they were excited for to start school and Bella and my and the oldest niece was like to be just so popular to like walk <laughs> in and be so popular that my youngest niece was like I'm excited to learn how to read <laughs> it's so like it's so funny. funny and then it's just beautiful just to see their different oh, personalities so different, yeah. too it's wonderful yeah like uh, my niece Audrey is like she's gonna be like a famous filmmaker one day she's nine but she like makes videos on her iPhone and does like creepy voices and like really yeah wow. she's really good at that and then her brother Noah he's just interesting in a way that he just like says things like he'll just be like hi ham it's like why are you calling me ham today hi bacon or he'll change his name today my name's Henry and I'm like okay <laughs> I like that. I, I'm so worried. Like, I'm like, oh, they're going to send them to school and they're going to lose all creativity. No, they're in no. school. So we're good. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. It's very, it's extreme. It's extremely funny. And it's also cool because you just, you, you're at the beginning of their life. So you can just teach them anything. Oh, no. That sounds really dangerous but coming from you, Gabby. No, no. Like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like, like she was like talking about lava and I was like the floor is lava or whatever which she learned somewhere and I was like do you know that lava is from volcano and she's like no and I was like have you ever seen a volcano she's like no so I'm pulling up volcano videos on my phone and she's riveted she's like it is volcano. wild it's wild to watch them learn yeah. things I'm like yeah, they have so no point volcano, of context yeah a volcano is a mountain whatever but also she was like looking at my my tattoo which is a dolphin and her mom was like have you ever seen a dolphin and she was like yes and the mom was like no, you haven't. <laughs> and she's like, I've seen a dolphin. And she's like, where? And she's like, and then I was like, okay, I'll pull up videos. This is a dolphin, like basic stuff. But you, I'm like, this person is seeing a dolphin for the first right. time. It's yeah. wild. Yeah, it's cool. When uh, my oldest niece, uh, Erlai, was um, like, she was in kindergarten. We were celebrating Thanksgiving and I told her like, the true meaning of Thanksgiving and then when she went to school and told <laughs> <laughs> and like the teacher was so mad and then but then like from that point on she was like I don't know if I trust what they teach me in school <laughs> good 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 exactly and that's a great note to end this episode <laughs> on what do we rate this one I rate it 11 out of 10 finding your true friend group mm. spicy I'll rate it uh, 20 out of 15 mug gifts. Oh, yes. Uh, what was the mug that you gave, Allison? It had an A on it. It was beautiful. An eight? A. Yes, oh, an Allison. A. My name is Allison. Mm -hmm. I'm Allison. Um, <laughs> and I will rate it 72 out of 57 parts of yourself. Aww. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, thank you to Britt Frank for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Jog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. 
and me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Monts. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or on our channel, youtube.com slash show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, at Allison Raskin, at She Is Not Melissa, at Gabby Road, Emotional Support Lady Substack, Patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn, and also Allison's book, Overthinking About You. Go and leave a Goodreads or an Amazon review. Um, you can also go to Scribd and see my book, Stimulus Rack. But Allison's, give them reviews. Okay, bye! Forever! Yeah.